Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast brought to you by Argus Media, a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. In this episode of Metal Movers, we will talk about the crazy world of the US steel market. My name is Colin Richardson, I'm the steel editor for Argus in London and I'm joined by my colleague Rai Drusen, our senior steel reporter in the US. Uh, hello Rai, how's it going? Hey Colin, how's it going? I'm very good, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, so Rai, if I can take you back uh, just very briefly to, let's say, um, the end of August of last year. At that time, yeah. um, the the uh, the US uh, hot roll coil price in the Midwest was trading at a, a discount uh, to uh, to the Northwest European market. It was a discount of maybe five or seven bucks on a metric ton basis, something like that. Uh, and if we, you know, if we, if we fast forward to today, uh, the U S is trading at over a thousand dollar per metric ton, uh, premium, which is, right. uh, quite insane. So can you just explain to us uh, what's gone on? Yeah. Absolutely. So in August of last year, um, I think as everyone will remember, we were in the midst of some of the worst parts of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And in the U.S., what that meant is we had a almost total economic shutdown. And how that rippled through the steel market was that downstream manufacturing, automakers, your um, tooling companies, uh, air conditioning, refrigerators, all that, a lot of that closed down because it wasn't considered um, uh, to be essential. And in August, you had this combination of too much supply in the market and not enough demand. And something turned around in August of 2020 where demand started to ramp up and in many ways it ramped up faster than supply could catch back um, up to it. And a lot of that was driven by blast furnace based uh, or integrated steel makers who had taken down, uh, we estimated somewhere around maybe 20 million short tons a year of raw steel production or hot metal production. Um and what that meant was that it took them a while to get their operations back online at the same time when demand, as I said, was outstripping supply. So you had many, many people trying to book tons that just basically didn't exist. And that led to large order backlogs, long lead times. Uh, people were waiting months and months and months to get steel in some cases for six months domestically, which is, I mean, pretty absurd in the general scheme of things. Usually lead times, healthy lead times, quote unquote, are four to six weeks. Uh, and below that, the market sees there being as too much supply. And where prices went from there, from a mid 400s, a short ton for HRC in August, was to nearly $2,000 a ton in the Midwest by probably, I would say, we, we broke that $1,900 mark in August and we hit the peak in September, uh, mid-September of this year. And Really, this is a supply story. Uh, as I said before, steelmakers had issues bringing production online, but then even when they did, uh, with the amount of demand that was on the market, 
they struggled to get their order books under control. We've seen this happen before where stonemakers overbook. And uh, there were many instances where I heard that someone would come in and they would offer way more money than where the market was. And the steelmaker would slot them into the current order book. And as you can imagine, that upset some people in the market, mostly service centers. Uh, and um, yeah, so it's it's been a bit of a mess in the market up until recently. Yeah, we've had that same sort of um, dynamic all over the world where supply couldn't catch back up uh, to, to demand quick enough. And I think it was it was a similar thing in Europe. It was around August where where demand snapped back insanely quickly and, and the mills uh, were, were caught out. I, I guess now we've gotten to the point where, you know, those lead times certainly here in in, uh, in Europe have have started to to recede. I mean, you can if you're a service centre today, you can probably still find fourth quarter uh, tons, you know, certainly December tons, uh, and that's basically the same lead time as as the mills were talking about in in May before the summer holiday. So there's been a real contraction. Can you just take us through? Uh, I mean, how lead times are at the moment and, and what's the what's the feel in the market for how things are going to develop over over the next few months? Are you seeing the semiconductor and component shortages having, a, you know, any any impact on, on steel demand and any uh, you know impact on apparent purchasing by service centers, etc.? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think what we are seeing right now is the market has gotten into the 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 clearest equilibrium it has had in my almost three years at Argus. And what that means is supply and demand almost seem matched right now. But there's a lot of warning signs in the market that are making many, many people, especially buyers, skittish. So. You brought up automotive. That is the biggest weak spot in the market right now. The automotive industry in the U.S. has been dealing with semiconductor shortages, just like much of the world has for essentially the last year at this point. And how that has manifested is lower steel consumption in the U.S. market, which means that there has been more spot on availability than otherwise would have been out there. Now, what's really interesting is that the steelmakers in the United States have been what some would say more disciplined this time than in past eras where, um, say, in the past, steelmakers may, in order to fill their books, cut deals and lower price transactions and under essentially undercut where the spot market is in order to fill their books uh now in a much more consolidated market you've got to realize we're down to four major steel makers in the form of uh cleveland cliffs uh newcore steel dynamics and u.s steel um, they are the four largest steel makers in the u.s and they make up a vast majority of the steel production and uh they have been much more disciplined this go around some say than in the past so where we're at right now as i said is this equilibrium point where 
pricing is still above $1,900 a short ton. I think many, many people are very surprised that steelmakers have been able to maintain the price, but there is growing skepticism in the market that they will be able to, partly because the spread between international prices is so wide that cheaper priced steel is flowing into the U.S. Uh, in the form of you know places like Houston um, and HRC imports and stuff. We just saw for September uh, data came out this week that showed that over 300,000 tons of hot rolled coil was imported into the U.S. Uh, in that in that month, according to preliminary data from the U.S. Department of Commerce. And that is uh, one of the highest numbers recently, if not the highest in years. Um, and what that means is that that lower price steel, you know, saying say it sits in Houston or something, it's challenging domestic's ability to keep and maintain the price where it is in the 1900 range, which they would love to, as you can imagine, because they are banking record profits right now. Nucor alone, the largest steelmaker in the United States, made a third quarter profit of over $2 billion. And as they put it, it nearly matched the profit of one previous year altogether. So they're doing just fine. All the steelmakers <laughs> have posted their own record profits. Uh, and there is there's a lot of moves, too. I mean, these steelmakers aren't just sitting there with piles of cash being like, well, I guess we're you know, they're not they're not a dragon sitting on a mound of gold and saying we're never going to spend it. They are spending their money. Uh, Cleveland Cliffs bought FPT, a prime scrap supplier in the Midwest. Uh, recently, Nucor and U.S. Steel both announced their own three million short ton a year flat rolled mills that they intend to build. Uh, I presume we'll get more details on that from U.S. Steel, who they released their earnings this afternoon, and um, and and they'll do do they'll have their call tomorrow. Um, and when it comes to What's going on now is basically a standoff. You've got buyers who are seeing cheaper steel coming in, cheaper steel that they could buy in Houston. They could ship it almost anywhere in the U.S. and it would still make a profit. And at the same time, you have domestic mills who seem to be unwilling to negotiate in a real way uh, pricing downward. Yeah, I, I suppose the risk for for mills is that you know you can hold your prices proud and you can be uh very firm but if the you know if the gap with global prices gets too big and let's say it's something like i mean we mentioned the spread to europe the spread to china is even bigger isn't it it's something like 1200 dollars or 1220 bucks the premium for the us there is a risk that uh they just lose market share to imports i guess uh, Absolutely. Do you, think, do you think that's something they're wary of and, and that might play a part in prices going forward in the coming months? I think the 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 one thing that I've heard pretty consistently is when it comes to Europe, which is the one that's under review right now by the United States on the Section 232 tariffs. They a lot of people in the United States aren't terribly concerned about imports from Europe because previously they were not a significant importer into the U.S. And even now, um, you know, you and I were talking a little earlier about this. 
the imports of flat world products into the U.S. are relatively minimal compared to, say, our neighbor to the north, Canada, who, who imported over 200,000 tons of hot rolled coil into the U.S. in September. And so I think there is a risk there because obviously if you see a um, shiny gold bar out in the distance that is the United States and, you know, you're looking at your domestic market and it's kind of a little duller and not so active, you know, you may decide to uh, send some of your steel from Europe to the United States. But I think it's interesting that, you know, most people who I talk to, especially traders and stuff, they discuss how steel mills really want to keep as much steel in their domestic market or regional market because it's much easier, especially right now, especially with logistics being an absolute mess. And, you know, me having people who who, who deal with Turkish steel saying that they used to start looking for a vessel 10 days out. Now they're having to look 30 to 40 days out. So with all the logistical issues that are going on, I think that that may help to keep Imports at bay at the same time, I mean, the amount of imports coming to the U.S. right now are definitely astronomical compared to where they were this time last year, which is no surprise because essentially we were in a recession last year. Um, but they're even I mean, they're they are they're not historically high, but they're definitely getting to levels that are pretty significant overall. So I think we're already seeing some of those flows into the U.S. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a you know, if I'm a european steel mill uh you know i would i would sell every every spare <laughs> kilo of capacity in into the into the right. the us or at least the north american markets it makes no sense to me we've got european steel mills selling into places like turkey at the moment for yeah i don't know 910 920 dollars a ton and you just think why why it's so it's so strange well maybe maybe the whole 232 discussion plays into that and the european mm. mills don't want to put too many tons into the u.s before there is a resolution there if there is one but like right. you said historically i mean pre section 232 europe only sold around 40 to 50 thousand tons or so of hot rolled a month into the u.s on average you know it's not not huge tons but i think it is a risk not just from europe but from everywhere in the world that the U.S. market has to uh, be aware of, and maybe that helps explain the massive backwardation that you see on the uh, on the CME. Anyway, I guess we're uh, we're probably coming up to to our uh, our time limit, right? Is there anything that you know, any concluding uh, thoughts you wanted to touch upon, or anything that you'd like to uh, to uh, discuss before we go? No, I mean, I think right now where the U.S. market is, is that everyone is trying to figure out how the year is going to close out and uh, how the U.S. steel mills will keep pricing. I think that uh, looking into next year, people do expect demand to be pretty solid. But, you know, there's all these other issues, whether it's logistics or labor and things like that. And people are kind of wondering whether or not the U.S. economy is kind of tapped out as to how much it can produce. So time will tell. We'll see. Okay, right. Well, thank you very much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tune into our other episodes to learn about the metals markets. Uh, for more information about uh, steel, uh, please visit argusmedia.com. Uh, thank you uh, very much for your time and attention. Mm-hmm.